We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. This thing on. See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bill's Podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Welcome, everybody, to a friendlier edition of the Rock Power Report Podcast. Chris, this is what we call bonus podcasting. Because I'll tell you what. Usually we're what three shows a week? Yeah, three shows. We're a week, doing four a, a more, week, like more work, work for me, more, more work, work for, for you, you, me. But I'll tell you what, I want everybody to. Did, did you hear that, guys? Did you hear that can crack? Good. I want you all to just do this with me. Goosefraba. Say it. Let it out. Just speak. Okay. We've had a rough weekend. <laughs> We all had a rough weekend. We also simultaneously just aired our recap podcast of that Jacksonville disaster, which I don't listen to it if you don't want to. I understand. I understand if you don't want to go rehash that nonsense. Trust me, I didn't rewatch the game because I couldn't bring myself to do it. Instead, I want to talk about something that we've been covering. Chris, I don't think we're patting ourselves in the back when we say this. This might be our third one. We've been covering this in more depth and in better detail than anybody else in Bill's podcasting. And I got to shout out Bruce Nolan from the Bruce Exclusive, who has tweeted out before, listen to us on this issue. It's very informative. Joe Miller from the Overreaction Show and from Buffalo, also Buffalo Rumblings. 
tweeted out, <laughs> tweeted our tweet about this show, just saying, look, I tap out. These guys, if they want to do this. Guys, the stadium situation took a turn last week when New York State released the results of their findings in a 91-page report breaking down their own study. Now, Chris, how many times have we brought up the fact that the team did their own viability study when it came to these the topics of a new stadium? New stadium, PSLs. PSLs, the whole nine. They've yeah. done all their work. But now they're bargaining with the state, and the state needs to do their own. Unfortunately, the state is also obligated to make those findings public. And so in that way, there's a lot of really interesting information in this. And yet, I feel like so much of it... Chris, if you're a radio host, like the guys over at WGR in the afternoon, every day you're going on creating four hours of content. How much time do you have to go through in detail a 91-page report? Uh, That'd probably take a weekend. If you're the average football fan who cares about a stadium but doesn't understand some of the jargon that gets thrown around or who maybe just doesn't care enough to try to dive into something of this magnitude to tr- to figure out what's actually being imparted, what are you left with? You're literally just left with whatever some journalist who put 20 minutes into perusing it has to tell you. And so I feel like people get a really incomplete view of what came out of this report. But as a season ticket holder and is just a nut job for this topic, there was an incredible amount of valuable information in here. Now, for your sake, our listeners, you guys are lucky enough that I have this sickness. So as my wife is sleeping next to me on the couch and my kid is asleep, and I probably could be doing anything. I could be playing video games. I could be playing my guitar. I could be watching, catching up on all the movies I have DVR'd. Instead, I'm pouring through 91 pages of information, creating, and Chris, we're going to throw it up as either a Google document or we'll Dropbox it, my 91-page annotated annotated report so that you guys can do it for yourselves and see, in their words, what it is I'm about to read to you and maybe find some information of your own that's important. But at the end of the day, this state report is incredibly important to the future of this football team as it pertains to this city. And I want to break down my personal findings, not something I cribbed from somebody else, something I just carved out of this report. All of my findings, all of my thoughts. I want to I want to talk you guys through it so that hopefully you can get a better picture of where we stand in terms of having a football stadium and a football team in the state of New York. Chris do you have a beverage? I can get one. You need to get one because... Because I have to drink pop because yeah. I have to go to work later. So I believe, yes. The Mountain Dew. Are you doing this just to aggravate me? Yes. I knew I had a can of Mountain Dew in there. This is the official beverage of North Collins, New York. Mountain Dew. <laughs> oh, it is like it is kind of like living an episode of Talladega Nights out there. It really is. <sighs> Here's where I'll start. If we're going to break this down, as I dove, as I kind of dove into the report, one of the first things I gleaned from it, and I want to I kind of section it off as the current stadium and why renovation is a non-starter. The, the report breaks down 
all of these things about the current stadium and lays out the three plans at hand. A downtown stadium, a new build in Orchard Park, and renovating the current building. Because that's the first stumbling block to all this. Is Well, why can't they stay in the same place and we just fix the building? Well, there's a couple things there that you get out of this report. The first one is that the bill's primary concourse is currently below ground level. Now, you know that, Chris. You were there every Sunday with me. Yeah, that's like one of the reasons I think the stadium is sound structurally right now. It was how far it's been built into the, into the ground. Oh, for sure. Because you think about how extreme the weather here is. Over time, that would crack and it would weather the foundations of a building that was built any higher up. The fact that the majority of the structure sits underground, technically, <laughs> that's, it has gone a long way to preserving the foundation itself. But the built's primary concourse is currently below ground level. And we've all gotten used to it. But it actually brings about a number of problems for any kind of major overhaul. Because the club level seating is already occupying ground level. Right? They sit just a hair above us in the 200 section. Almost level with us, but not quite. And the bars and the, the bathrooms and all the stuff that facilitates the premium seating sections. That would mean that they would have to lower... They would have to make the lower concourse the quote-unquote club level and turn giant chunks of the lower bowl seating into premium seats. Now, for people like our friend Mark, because he's somehow a fancy man with club tickets, that's going to be a problem because right now those fans pay for those seats because they're sheltered from the weather and have heaters above them. What happens if those go away? You put people in the lower bowl, there's no extension over the top of that. Would those seats be then viewed be, be viewed worth a premium knowing that other people paid less for them previously. I don't know. I can't believe the the price of those seats over there. Right? I feel like you're just only paying for the heat well, when it when it gets cold out. And this becomes a problem because of the next rele- revelation of the report. The upper deck is shot. The deterioration of the upper deck structurally is significant. Okay? And it's apparently reached its quote-unquote end of life and maybe reached it a year or two ago. So we're already living on borrowed time in that regard. Meaning that no matter what happens, that would have to be scrapped and rebuilt, which considering the scope of that project alone would be costly and difficult to carry out. Then there's this. I was a little surprised by this, but apparently... Club seats in the corners don't sell at all. Apparently, the enclosed club spaces in the south and southeast corners of the stadium don't sell at all, to a degree that season ticket holders don't actually own them. And the team has been forced to try to push single-game tickets. Like, there's been an onus by this the Buffalo Bills ticket office to try to foist those tickets onto people. That's insane that only because there's no overhang. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Like, yeah, like, like that's crazy, though, right? Yeah, it is. So then, another thing that came out of this in the renovation idea: asbestos risk. When was when 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 was it built, Chris? Back in the eighties? No, uh, early seventies. Early seventies. I think they broke ground, and they might have broke ground in either sixty-nine or seventy. There is a there's a fear by New York State that a full abatement 
of asbestos in that building could run them twenty to thirty dollars per square foot anywhere it was found, and it's feared to be sizable. It's interesting seeing the breakouts of cost of that for each facility, because there's a nine million dollar tag associated with asbestos mitigation just for the demolition of Ralph Wilson Stadium alone. Think about that for a second. <laughs> They're saying it's going to cost us $9 million to demolish this building in a way that we don't think asbestos is going to get released into the atmosphere. <laughs> but the downtown stadium project brings with it approximately $3.4 million, which is 15 percentage points, extra for the asbestos mitigation not just of the current stadium, but also of the properties that would also need to be demolished in order to allow construction to begin. The Orchard Park location doesn't have any of those concerns, right? You'd just be paying for the demo job. But it's still crazy to think, Chris, it's an old building. These are the costs that I, I as we start this conversation, I want you guys to get com- comfortable with this theme. There are a lot of monetary influences here that you as the casual fan or just, hey, I watch football, I love the team, I have a basic understanding of how finance works. There are so many costs wrapped up in all of this. So when you just hear big numbers that the media throws at you, there's so much wrapped up into this. And that's one of them. The bottom line here is that ultimately... It's approximated that the cost of the renovation of the existing site would run $862 million, while a new Orchard Park Stadium would run $1.4 billion. And a new downtown stadium would cost, in the ballpark, but potentially higher, of $2.1 billion. And while it seems like a no-brainer to spend 59% less just to remodel, longevity is what changes the narrative here. When you consider that most remodels only last a decade or so, while newly built stadiums, which if they're cared for and built correctly, like you kind of pointed out, yeah, with the current stadium, can last more than 30, the same way Ralph Wilson Stadium has. So it just doesn't seem like renovating the current structure is going to be something that's feasible. No, no responsible government body would fork over that kind of money for a project like that, would they? No. No. So it seems like we're destined to get a new stadium. Now, the question is where and what's going to be inside of it. Now, before we talk about where, there's some really interesting stuff that came out of the minutia of this. I was impressed with how thorough this report truly was. Now, is this like locations as far as downtown or both downtown and OP? Oh, this is downtown and OP. This is going beyond that and just looking at the inside, like all of their descriptions of what needed to be done, what would need to be done, what improvements from the current stadium would need to be made in the new stadium, regardless of where it was positioned. It opened my eyes to a lot of things that I want to bring to your guys' attention because I find this stuff interesting, and I think you might either be educated or at least get a laugh out of it. First of all, the Bills are playing in one of the few NFL stadiums that feature just one tunnel for vehicular access to the field and locker rooms. There's only one way in and one way out of that building if you need an ambulance. That's crazy to me. Yeah, it was. I remember it was like that with the odd 
And if Malarchuk had been on the other end of the ice, he might have died. See, what are we talking about here? You mean to tell me that as a pro stadium, there's no you have no other access tunnels? You have no other like, hey, we take you down the stairs and we go to this other we go down and there's another receiving bay for vehicles down here. There's nothing. It's literally if you want a vehicle inside the stadium, you bring them through the doors, you bring them down the main concourse and you bring them down the tunnel. That's it. If I'm a player, that makes me concerned. That, that blows my mind. So that's something that the report is lays out. We have to change about the new stadium. There was apparently a debate that took place, and this is one of the more hilarious things to come out of this, between trough-style restrooms and urinal-style for the men. Chris, I want to know your thoughts on this. First of all, Urinal-style bathrooms, it's more orderly, right? But it takes longer. But trough-style anything feels like anarchy, doesn't it? You're going to have to... I'm (laughs) signing up for (laughs) urinal bathrooms. It has to be... And Costanza was right. Full... Give me full side panels... To the ground. You want a full partition? Full partition. Like a between, closet yeah. that you step into to pee? Yeah, full partition. You know, and even any of the stalls that they make, doors right to the floor. Just like Costanza said. <laughs> that's what I want. That's right, what so I you want. take your shirt off in there? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for the times that I will go to a Bills game wearing a suit. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I have no shame, so I don't have a preference here. Like, I don't have a horse in this race. Anything, I'll say this. Anything that gets people to stop pissing in sinks is a bonus in my book. I'd like to think if you can get it done faster, efficiency is key in the men's bathroom because we're all animals at the end of the day. Well, Especially at a sporting event. Well, there's nothing more uncomfortable than going to a urinal, pulling your dick out and taking a piss and somebody next to you also trying to have a conversation with you. Well, that doesn't happen to me. I mean, that, I do what? What? Who's, who, whoa, 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 whoa. That, that, who are these people talking in urinals? Who are these people talking in the bathroom? Point blank and period. The moment. I've like, had it happen. I've had it happen at work, but dude, I have my headphones in. So I like I could barely hear them because I had my headphones in listening to, you know, a podcast while I urinate. And I could hear. I knew somebody was next to me and I could hear them. Faintly, and I just ignored it. Yeah, I'm I'm floored by this revelation. Like I know, right? Tweet at us at Rock Power Report if you talk to people at urinals. Yeah, identify yourselves. This yes. is a profiling mechanism. Yes, please if, identify yourselves. If I'm in the bathroom at a Bills game, I'll make I'll make small talk. But if I'm at the urinal, and you got to focus. Tur- and you turn over and try speaking to me, I'm going to bark at you like I'm DMX. Yeah, you got to focus. <laughs> you don't speak to me. Not now. Get out of here. <laughs> oh, God. It, it According to the report, it, it appears urinals have won the day and that they do indeed include partitions, hard plastic partitions. They even go on to describe the type and the shape and the size of the partitions. I want full partitions. <laughs> Another thing I took out of this, the bills... And this affects current current game visitors. The Bills are one of the few NFL teams that don't have what they call active kitchens. 
And this is one of the reasons I'm happy I tailgate and eat my fill of finely prepared meats, properly curated snacks, thanks to Mark. Uh, <laughs> thanks to Mark. I get all that stuff in before the game. Apparently, the, the team currently has what they're calling satellite kitchens that pre-make the food that all of you guys are buying on game day and then transports them from these off-site kitchens in hot boxes and warming trays to the various concession stands around the stadium. That's pretty gross, right? It is. I mean, I've seen the fryers, and I've seen the popcorn machines, but when you say it, I've never actually seen anybody making a pizza. I've never actually seen anybody carving roast beef and putting it on a sandwich. I've never bought anything from the concession stand at the stadium. Yeah, well, you're better off for it because now we know why. None of that's taking place. So those of you who are going to the stadium and spending $20 on a roast beef sandwich and french fries, that thing was made a mile away from the stadium and trucked in in a hot box and they microwaved it minutes before you received it. Does that change your opinion of whether or not you feel like forking over the kind of money that you think that that deserves? The report laid out that everything the bills are doing from a food perspective is substandard and that active kitchens are going to be necessary for not just for essentially there's going to have to be multiple kitchens around the stadium to service the various concession stands so that fresh prepared food is available at the drive, like that's what you're going to be getting. That alone makes me think that Chris, we've been ke- like this has been a sham of a stadium, and we wonder why out of town fans come here and talk shit about their game day experience or talk shit about the stadium itself, and we get defensive about it just out of habit. Maybe they're right because that sounds wrong, doesn't it? Like, hey, I'm going to charge you sixteen dollars for a beef on whack and fries. Well, we fried the fries and the beef on a whack, and we popped it in the nuker. That just feels wrong, doesn't it? Yeah, they probably got it from the uh, Charlie the Butcher that's inside that NoCo over in the village of OP. <laughs> I mean, I just, I really wish I hadn't read that because not that I was going to, but no, I'm definitely not buying any food at a game. And if you're listening to this and realizing that you've been paying a premium for food that was nuked, I. <laughs> My heart goes out to you. Thoughts and prayers. Another strange thing to me is this concept that they're going to build a quote-unquote, what do they call it, a referee-slash-star locker room. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. Star. It's is where it like officials... specifically for Star Latulale? <laughs> it's specifically where officials will be placed on Sunday. And where anyone coming in to play a concert will also be accommodated if they request their own dressing room. So think about this, Chris. If you're Billy Joel, wouldn't you be pissed that you've got to sit in the same room Carl Sheffers is just walking around in? I mean, look, I I picture the scene after a football game. Carl Sheffers just walking around in sock suspenders, probably farting loudly after blowing another Sunday of NFL officiating. Billy Joel has to occupy that same space. How prestigious. That seems like a mistake, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm just picturing Billy Joel going, man, 
Tony Corrente has been in this room. <laughs> no one's ever said that ever. I'm sure he comes back and goes, all of our instruments were flat tonight. I bet you it was Tony Corrente's fault. It's his damn room. <laughs> uh, another thing that came out of this, just of note, just these kind of quick hitters. The price tag of the dome that all of you care so much about. It's listed as $298 million as a conservative estimate to start. The report was thorough enough to state that while a dome would increase the estimate for any new construction from $1.4 billion to $1.65 billion in the Orchard Park location, any sort of exotic shaping, features that make it retractable, or simply having issues getting the equipment in to build it, which they kind of they can, they label site constraints, would add to that estimate significantly. So while people are free to make their own inferences from that, here's some food for thought. That bit at the end about site constraints is concerning. It makes me think it was worded that way specifically because there's talk about building this thing downtown. And they're looking at it going, here's the equipment necessary to build a dome. Everyone goes, hey, you get a stadium, you put a dome on it. These people did the did the legwork, looked at the equipment necessary, and said, "Yikes! Where you guys are talking about putting it, it it could be made more difficult and might require some highly specialized equipment in order to get it done. There might be a lot of new charges that pop up down the line, so we're not willing to commit to that being the sole price tag, which is something we're going to look at in a moment, right?" And then the biggest one to come out of this for me personally, and I think maybe this impacts you, Chris, the reduction of seating. Oh, yeah. Give me reduced seating all day long. From almost 80,000 seats to 60,000, the Bills are looking to make a much smaller venue. And while you see that number in the headlines, they say, oh, 60,000 people, the breakdown of those those seats get interesting. I crunched the numbers. The stadium currently has 135 suites. Each of those 135 suites holds between 14 and 20 people. That means they currently have the capacity to seat about 2,700 people inside of the club suites. And under a new build, they'd like to punt on that and reduce that figure by more than half to about 960. There's a logic to that, Chris. I, it, they must not be selling if they think it's economically viable to cut that figure in half for the most premium seats you have in the building. I think it underscores a lack of corporate presence in Buffalo, given that there aren't many private individuals who can afford. I, I checked it out, Chris. 9000 to 17000 is what it costs on a given Sunday to reserve one of those suites for a weekend. Depending on what you want, what you're, whether it's open bar, whether it's you know, cash bar, whether it's, hey, you're going to have a smorgasbord of food, how many tickets you ultimately have. It's wild. But also, it shows that the team is essentially admitting it to themselves that there isn't enough money here to occupy those boxes. How often do we look back behind us where our season tickets are? There's nobody in those boxes. I can't even recall 
just looking back and wondering, oh, are all of these suites full? Usually if I'm turning around, I'm turning around to look at the scoreboard for something that happened. Yep. So this is the team admitting it to themselves. And this is the state recognizing the fact that, hey, listen, we probably this isn't viable. You guys have way too many vacancies. We need to shrink this number. And it's a savvy move and something ego-driven individuals like NFL owners would probably hesitate to agree to. (laughs) Meanwhile, for those of us plebeians sitting in the cheap seats, we'll also feel the crunch over fewer seats. The numbers for guys like us would be approximately 52.6 thousand. And that's a problem because last season, the team sold out its tickets by May 25th. Now, that's season tickets by May 25th, well before the season even started. In a September article from WIVB Channel 4 about season ticket holders who were requesting refunds after the vaccination mandate, when that got rolled out, it was stated that the number of total season ticket holders in mass, which they must have gotten from the team if they were able to publish it, was between 58 and 60,000. So which is 52,000 people in the regular season, in the regular seats, and 6,000 club seats in a new stadium. That gets you to the low end of the current season ticket holder list. That don't, Chris, that's not enough to sustain people who currently have season tickets. Unless we forget, there is an expansive waiting list, which is kind of crazy to me, considering that when we bought our season tickets a decade ago, not only was there no waiting list, there, the tickets were only $245 for eight games. That it's sounds like fucking insane. lunacy. My girlfriend at the time thought I was lying to her. She was like, well, hey, she is dumb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's kind of an idiot. But it's one of those things where like she came out, she called me. She came out of a meeting and she was like, yeah, I just got done with a meeting. And I told my coworkers that you paid two hundred and forty five dollars for your season tickets. And they laughed at me and said, OK, he's lying to you. That's just what he's telling you because of it. And she was like, he has no reason to lie to me. We don't have joint finances. And I said, honey, I have no reason to lie to you because I wouldn't lie to you. I don't care about your feelings that much. (laughs) I didn't say that out loud, but it was what I thought. Like, I don't care enough to lie to you to protect your feelings. So with that in mind, there's this idea that with the reduction in seats and the way that they sell out season tickets right now, single game tickets would never even go on sale. Yeah, I'm for that. That makes it a wanted ticket. Right? And that would seem on its face to mean that the current crop of season ticket holders could, in theory, fill the stadium before those people ever get a sniff at a game. Now, that's obviously something the team would want, considering it means that they know they're getting their nut, and the league doesn't have to worry about vacancies or secondary market markets making a profit off the tickets. But before you all start hand-wringing, I, I, can hear, I can hear it already through the airwaves. I can hear you all. Oh, what about me? What about my seniority? And uh, before some of you just start throwing full-scale temper tantrums about seniority and how they'll select who, who gets to keep their season tickets if and when they decide where the new stadium gets built. There's a much bigger gorilla in the room that would render a lot of that social media sparring irrelevant This reduction in seats that they're proposing for any new build all but ensures that PSLs are going to be a thing that we have to deal with. Hear me. Not if, but when. 
If you want to watch the Bills play in a new stadium here in Buffalo, you better be ready to put down a chunk of cold, hard cash up front in order to do it. And the numbers bear that out. If our current season ticket holder list would have a hard time getting seats in that stadium, there's a waiting list, and then there's a there's people still selling the stadium out today on single tickets. The demand is there. If you reduce the supply, it makes it more exclusive, right? That's exactly what you want. And you, it makes that thing valuable. <sighs> There's a demand, and it's as if you artificially suppress that, as what happens with any commodity competition, it grows. And in that way, they'd almost certainly be banking on that dynamic, and of their 58,000 season ticket holders right now and potentially five to 10,000 waiting in the wings, some of them are more than willing than others to pony up a little upfront cash for a PSL, correct? Yeah. Now, for me personally, I have no issue with that. How do you feel, Chris? If I came to you and said, hey, it's going to cost you $800 in cash upfront before you can buy a season ticket. Well, then I would say, well, I got to get better at betting. <laughs> are you going to try? What you going to try to gamble your way to PSLs? Yeah. Well, if I know PSLs are coming, you know what I would do now. If I know that in we're going to be playing in a new stadium in seven seasons. Yep. Then I will start banking away some cash, knowing that PSLs are coming. Like if if you know how to if you're financially savvy and know how to save money and you have you're on the median income or just above it in Buffalo PSLs are coming start putting away a little bit of money to be able to pay for it either start putting it away or if you can't start coming to grips with the fact that it might not be in your future to be attending football games like that maybe you have to buy them on the secondary market maybe you're only att- maybe season ticket old, maybe season tickets just aren't a thing that's in your grasp now i'm lucky enough that i'm situated as such that i can afford to swing that regardless of the number they threw at me i'd be fine i'm now i'm a little uh, i'd be i'd love it to like so that gets passed down all right psls are coming so how are we going to set a price all right well let's get a committee together so you have people from like Erie County and the Bills and then one representative for the fans and then we select Ryan Lacell to be a part of that committee <laughs> to set PSL prices. <laughs> That's the last thing we want. Nobody will be there. It'll be empty. It'll just be Ryan sitting in, sitting in the 200 section just because he's that guy <laughs> watching the team play by himself. Now, here's here's what I'll say. I understand that that part of this is going to impact people probably greater than anything else. Whether like that's the thing. This is the this might be one of the most damning parts of getting a new stadium is that this new stadium is going to come at the expense of a lot of people being able to afford going to the game. It's been talked about and it's a reality. It's unfortunate. I mean, Chris, we talk about it all the time when we have these conversations. According to Forbes, the the Buffalo market can support 0.5 professional sport teams, and yet we find a way to support two. I don't know if we support the Sabres right now, but... Not right now. That's a different story. But people dig deep because this sport, this team matters, to them anyway. And so, how much deeper can they dig, though? And that's 
kind of where the rubber meets the road. Now, I'm kind of hoping that they will get together, come out with a reasonable PSL rollout, but it's inevitably coming. And for my fellow season ticket holders, I was going to say, for Chris, if you, depending on what your response had been, you, Potter, our fourth seat, which will someday be Dan's, here's my plan. Like this is you everyone talks about making contingencies. I'd navigate it with you guys. I've already lined up to secure financing. That's right, it wouldn't be free. There'd be a VIG involved. But it It would it would get me. I would do the legwork to put together financing so that each of you could pay back that PSL on an installment basis to a person who I'll just only identify as a generous benefactor, you'll pay them interest. It's not charity, but you'll get to see the team, and I'll get to watch it with my friends. Potter will probably set up a GoFundMe or something, an Indiegogo campaign to get money. I hope he fights you. I can't. It's been too long since he beat you up at a tailgate. I can't wait to see it again. Well, it's going to be a minute. Maybe he'll come over for a game if... If his lady will let him. Uh, but I'll say this. And the thing is, for my, for my own sake, I'll, I'll arrange the financing. And the only thing I'm getting out of the deal, each one of you will owe me a hot sub sandwich of my choosing at some point. Probably a royal with double meat and the capicola and onions both grilled. That's it. That's, the, that's all I want out of this is to be able to watch football with my friends and eat something that will clog my arteries. But I could put that together. There's a lot of people who can't. And I, I, I genuinely, like, I feel bad about that. But at that point, there'd be no argument about who had seniority or how long you've maintained your grandmother's tickets in her name so as not to lose that seniority. Uh, you know, like I did when I took over the tickets from Dan all those years ago. And I lost a giant chunk of our seniority. None of that. None of it would matter. Money would talk and bullshit would walk. And so the interesting thing will be to see how that process plays out, considering that the previous PSL research expeditions that have been done by both the Wilson family and the Pagula family both came back with the same kind of conclusion that that just wasn't going to work here in mass. Hopefully they can find a middle ground. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So moving on from all of that, we have to kind of focus in on some of the, the larger and most impactful parts of this study. 
lot of this revolves around in the minds of Bills fans is potential for growth. Chris, isn't that what you've seen and heard? Everyone says it's Orchard Park versus downtown Buffalo, and that's what's going to dictate, quote-unquote, potential for growth. Sure, I don't give a damn where the stadium is. I just don't want the team to leave. Well, no, and that's and that's kind of where I'm at, but also... I'm also anti-dome. Well, you're anti a lot of things that most people enjoy, so that makes sense. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Like, I don't know, good haircuts... Um, pants, that, pants that fit normally. Uh, I don't know. Men who don't wear women's boots. I don't, don't do none of those things. These your Chelsea boots look exactly like my wife's. I have a picture to prove it. I'm wearing them. <laughs> wearing them right now. Look at that. I know you are, and it's enraging to me. I'll come across this table. I swear to God. I got to get some gray ones. My gray ones are all what jacked you, up. What you need to do is put your head right. <laughs> I oh God. I was going to say, put your head in the oven, but I, who, who would produce this podcast? <laughs> I was going to say something else, but I'll, I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that offline. We don't want to offend uh, our listeners. So potential for growth. The data shows that despite having the team in its borders, Orchard Park's overall commercial health has been pretty stagnant. I mean, new developments around the stadium are pretty few. And think about it. The landscape around the stadium hasn't changed much since it's been built. Now, what's that, what's that Irish bar by the stadium? Are you talking about O'Neill's? No, not O'Neill's. Down, no, down, down the street from O'Neill's at McKinley and Southwestern. I don't know. It used to be Jack Devine's and now yes, something else. Yes, that's what I'm talking about, Jack Devine's. And then, like, how do you... You should be able to survive just on being a bar around the stadium... During football season. And yet that place is not. No. No. New developments are few. The hospitality segment of the local economy is crawled to a standstill. That's a perfect example. There's a bar that's literally... You, within, could, you could walk to it. It's on the you, other side of ECC South. It's walkable from the stadium. And yet they've changed ownership and names three different times in the last five, five to seven years. It's yeah. crazy. Because no one can make that a viable location. The population, likewise, has increased only slightly. Neither of these trends are looked at as ones that a new stadium would change, considering it's already there and that these features are kind of... Like, this is something that that area already has. Conversely, the downtown stadium location, based on the report's data, shows that over the next 30 years, a stadium place in South Buffalo could revamp the neighborhood, given the new infrastructure that would be needed to build it, and it would attract new commercial entities that would in turn create jobs, increase the value of existing properties in that area, which is one of Buffalo's more economically depressed. But the total of that growth is up for debate in terms of its overall impact. And this is one of the key, I want to say, myths and points of public confusion when it comes to all of these findings and a new stadium and where it would go. People have erroneously been claiming that this would generate millions and millions of dollars a year for the city of Buffalo, and it would revitalize the downtown district, and it would do all of these things, to the point that a guy who runs the UB Bulls SB Nation page, who Tim something or other, I don't know, 
was railing on Twitter about how anyone who doesn't want a downtown stadium must believe in welfare for billionaires, quote unquote. And that a downtown stadium would be good for the city because it creates all these new revenues and it would open this golden, shiny door to a new future for downtown Buffalo. According to this study, the estimates on increased revenue for Western New York, or for what Western New York could generate, could generate, and that's important to remember, Chris, we're not talking about this in ironclad terms because there's still no way to know the success of future developments around this hypothetical stadium, or how long they could take to develop, or how successful these developments could be. I mean, look, to your point, there's a, there's a massive bar and restaurant a mile from the stadium that has changed ownership three different times right now in the last decade. Yeah. Why? Because it's just not an attraction. People don't want to go that far from the stadium. Yeah, it's amazing that that place has changed owners and names a handful of times, but Danny South is still standing. Because Danny South is a quality restaurant. Uh, the place they're, is a dump. Yeah, the place is a dump, but their chicken wing soup is on fire. That's probably the only thing you should get from Danny South. I'd buy a gallon of it. I'd throw half of it in your face, and I'd eat the other half. <laughs> I'd make sure it was piping hot. But we have no idea of measuring how long it might take for these future developments to become successful or if they ever will. So what they're saying is, look, if you build it down here, property taxes will increase because the values will go up. It'll increase 57 million over a 30 year period. Not the $57 million a year I see thrown around social media or the, well, well, it'll be tens of millions of dollars in new revenues. $57 million over three decades is all this report was willing to commit to. And none in the early going because development of that surrounding area is going to take time. Now, Chris, Canal Side, the place that you go and shirtlessly rollerblade with your stupid hair and your goddamn dad bod. You're a little bit off. Do that at the Outer Harbor, not a canal side. Why not canal side? Because I don't want to make people jealous. That's like a <laughs> high volume <laughs> foot traffic it's area. Such a specimen of man is just skating by them. Oh, I hate you. Yeah, you you don't want me just skating shirtless by an office building and then and then no one gets any work done. Yeah, they're just like they're, they're they got their face smeared against the glass like chunk in the Goonies. Oh my God, folks! Can can you please like let's all get together and just let's embrace this concept that we are going to Big Daddy Chris during one of his rollerblading trips. Just Big Daddy and throw a stick right out there in front of him. It'll make me so happy. You as a purveyor of Canal Side, it was a major summer and spring attraction for downtown Buffalo. A few bars, some other, like, attractions, spaces for, cra- like, what, Chris, what, what's mostly in Canal Side, if you could describe it for our listeners? There's a lot of craft fairs. Yeah, there's, there's uh, there's a, the Tim Hortons is there, there's, um, <laughs> Tim Hortons yeah, there. there's a Tim Hortons there. Well, it's Buffalo, of course, yeah, um, Tim Hortons there. Oh, I can't think of the, the seafood restaurant that's right there. I can't. Templeton Landing? No, not Templeton Landing, it's, it's. Over by the, uh, it's closer to the uh, canal side. I don't know. It's like across the. Um, I don't know. It's across the street from. So the there's Tim a Hort- restaurant that sells it's, fish. It's delicious. It's better than Templeton Landing. Okay. Well, so there's. It'll a, come to me. Call in if you know. So there's a restaurant 
right? There's a bar. Uh, well, what's the one? Uh, something dog. Oh, Liberty Hound. Yes, that's the one I'm t- thinking of. Okay, Liberty, Liberty Hound. Hound. That's great. So you have one bar. You have a couple stops where people can stop and buy beers. You have a bunch of open spaces. You have some other attractions. You have the Naval Harbor there. They started playing that in 2015, and it didn't open until 2018. And that wasn't anywhere near as robust as the type of development that this stadium district would need to generate any meaningful revenues that people are pointing to as proof that this is where a stadium belongs. So if you say that it takes five years to fully flesh out, that means that you're bringing in $2.59 million a year in new property taxes for the city. And aside from that, you're going to be waiting to see how successful anything new that's built on there might be before you can even try to forecast the creation of new taxable revenue. And then when you look at the location of the stadium that they've selected, you're at least a mile away from even the closest of the quote-unquote downtown Buffalo bars and restaurants. So these people who are out there on social media telling you, well, it's going to revitalize downtown. But you think building in South Buffalo is somehow going to benefit those businesses on game day? You're all going to be shocked when you hear that not only would those bars and restaurants in the Chippewa and the Elmwood areas, the ones that all of you who love downtown Buffalo, like the ones you subscribe to, not only would they struggle to see a major up uptick in patronage given their lack of proximity to the new stadium in South Buffalo. Chris, it's over a mile and a half away. Yeah, that's a hard walk if you're drunk. That's a hard walk? If you're going to get into an Uber, why wouldn't you just go closer to where you're from? Like, if you're taking ride shares down to the stadium, why wouldn't you just leave and go closer to your own home, correct? Yeah. Okay. If you're taking public transportation, again... Why wouldn't you just leave? Or if they did develop the stadium district that gets built downtown, why wouldn't you just drink 300 yards from the stadium instead of going downtown? Yeah. I'd argue that not only would these businesses that currently exist in downtown Buffalo struggle to see any major benefit from this, they could actually be harmed by the inevitable development around the stadium that would hoover up the majority of foot and rideshare traffic, which was supposed to be the backbone of this like new stadium development downtown. Right? That, that was the thing. People are like, oh, well, you people out in Orchard Park, you love your tailgating. What you want? You, you give that up, but you go to a bar, you go to a restaurant, you have some drinks and you go to the game. Well, Chris, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to do it a mile from the stadium. I'm not going to do it at any of the existing establishments. In fact, if anything, it could draw people away from them. So if you're the guy sitting on the corner bar stool right now listening to this podcast in your fucking earbuds as you're ironically sipping a PBR at Hardware or some other trendy downtown bar going, oh, it'll be great. Will it? Because that bar might not exist anymore. If the stadium comes along and on Sundays, when some of these bars make major revenue because people downtown have nowhere else to go, it hoovers those people up and sucks them away and that revenue goes with it, those bars could be hurt. Some of them could close. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, Chris, it makes sense that people would want to do that, right? Yeah. Again, this is all just hypothetical, but it's food for thought. 
These are real world issues that businesses face every day from a comp- competition standpoint and an overestimation of gains. One of the last things that came out of this was location readiness. And when you compare the two, it's almost not even close. The Orchard Park location is considered shovel ready. Minimal teardown or demolition would be necessary outside of the deconstruction of the old facility. And one of the benefits of building in the area in Orchard Park where they're proposing is that construction could start now while the Bills are still currently playing in their current home. Right? Mm-hmm. That seems like a that seems like a good thing. Yeah. The downtown location has numerous issues for resolution before you could even even think about putting a shovel in the dirt. First of all, traffic patterns. According to the study, there's no way to expand a lot of the current streets outside of Oak and Elm. You'd just be remarking lanes and repurposing turning lanes to aid in the direction of traffic. The report mentions the closure of some of the side streets, kind of like what's currently done around the stadium in Orchard Park, in order to provide more lanes to funnel traffic away from the stadium on game days. Here's one of the crazy things. For all the, all the electronic signage they want to add, all of the extra things that they think need to go along to make the new infrastructure of the stadium work, if federal highway grants are used for any of the remarking, signage, or repurposing of streets, or any traffic control devices that you need to utilize in order to make all this work, then by law, the Federal Highway Administration would be required to run their own environmental impact review, which would absolutely push back your timetable for construction. The real construction costs would be 10 to 15% higher if the stadium is built downtown due to a number of constraints that would require more logistics to combat. That being a lack of physical access from certain locations and certain angles just to the building that you're trying to construct. Narrow streets for equipment and materials to be trucked into downtown Buffalo on. Limited on-site storage space. When you have materials that you're trying to truck in by the flatbed and drop so that builders can do their job. I don't know if anybody's ever worked in construction before, but they drop stuff off by the flatbed. If you don't have anywhere to keep that where you think it can be secure, now you're talking about paying for holding stations. We want to buy these materials, but we have to hold them at a waypoint until they're needed. And we have to truck them in on the day or the week that 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 part of the project is underway. It becomes a logistical nightmare. I know this firsthand. Then, let's also talk about the disruption of services and utilities to the localized community around where construction is supposed to take place downtown. It would be, first of all, it would just be way more significant for a downtown site against the Orchard Park site. Based on their numbers, if they did choose the downtown site, it would would cost about $79 million to update the access to utilities. That's your fiber optic cable. That's your power. That's your water. At the same time, like, I, it's just $24 million in Orchard Park. Why? Because it's already there. They're just diverting it from one side of the street to the next. Chris, which of those two things seems like a bitter, bigger hurdle? Obviously downtown. And then, 
Remember my earlier point about the dome that some of you so desperately think that this stadium needs? Building it downtown would be essentially conceding that you're going to pay more than the roughly $300 million originally earmarked, given that there's a ton of extra material and specialized equipment that would be necessary to facilitate that construction. That alone means that if they were going to choose downtown, it's less likely that the stadium, with all the other cost increases associated with the site that I've discussed and a few that are still to come in this conversation, would have the budget to swing a dome. So ask yourself, if I had to choose and I... And I, if you truly do love the idea of a stadium being downtown, do you also want a dome? Because financially, it seems more and more unlikely that you can have both. If this is an all, like, I can have one or the other. Chris, a downtown stadium, but no roof. How many people would, can you picture now screaming into the ether that is social media? A lot. No, d- dome on any stadium, OP. Downtown, not necessary. And an undomed stadium closer to the lake seems like a stupid idea, doesn't it? Seems like an awesome idea. <laughs> what, you want... Oh, well, you're like me. You don't mind the chaos. No, I don't. <laughs> uh, and my final point here, before we kind of jump into our last thoughts, before we close this whole podcast, because I'm sure I've bored you all enough, the neighborhood and social impact of this... Because this is the cost. This is the real cost to us as Western New York. I mean, dollars and cents, you can talk about it all you want. The Orchard Park location is literally across the street from the current location. That would mean that on its face, nothing about the lives of the people who live in that area of Abbott Road, Routes 20 and 20A, would be dramatically changed post-construction. On a similar basis, the environmental impact would be low, given that there's been limited impact of the current location to the wildlife in the area, the quality of life of, the quality of life of those who currently reside there, and the operations of all the businesses that operate in that corridor. I mean, our friends, the O'Neill Stadium Inn, Danny South, Burt's Bikes. Like, there's businesses that function there on a day-to-day basis without major disruption because of the stadium, Correct. Yeah. Most of them that exist there benefit from it. And in total, you can't say enough about the disparity in what the cost would be in terms of parking and transportation upgrade costs that would be required. For Orchard Park, if they were to build the stadium there, they would be spending $24 million to upgrade parking, upgrade ride sharing, upgrade that aspect of things. The downtown site, it's a $306 million lift. For those of you quick with math, that's 12 times the cost to put the stadium downtown. And a lot of that is because, as you read in the report, there would need to be a massive overhaul of the streets and highway access to that area that we don't have. Many of which in ways that you probably don't think about when you just flippantly say things like, oh, put the stadium downtown because that makes sense. There's going to be a redirection of traffic in specific locations and intersections. The installation of crash investigation sites along the 33, the 190, and the 198 to try to limit the bottlenecking. Because, Chris, we run into this. How many times do people crash on the 219 leaving the stadium? A lot. It's why we don't take it when we can avoid it. 
they're going to have to put those along in multiple places along every major artery leaving downtown Buffalo because they can't afford to have traffic slowed to one lane with that many people trying to get out of downtown Buffalo. So they're going to have to create spaces where the inevitable fender bender needs to be looked at and they have to pull off. $1.25 million in electronic signage along Elm Street, Oak Street, and South Park Ave so that they can tell people when traffic patterns are going to change. $2.5 million to widen the Smith Street ramp. The elimination of street parking along South Park Avenue as a whole so that those lanes can be used to flow traffic away from the stadium. $26 million for covered and elevated pedestrian connections to avoid people walking into stadium traffic. Right now, all they do is close Abbott Road. And then it's like Mardi Gras down there. People can drink in the street. They can wander around. Now they're going to have to build literal over-the-street walkways for people. This sounds like chaos, doesn't it? It does. There's so much more that goes into getting people in and out. And there's one more crucial thing to come out of my research regarding that hefty price tag for the infrastructure upgrades. If the state attempts, like I said, that FHA grant to defray the cost, they're legally obligated to come in and conduct their own environmental impact study and complete rundown of both the core project, which is the stadium, as well as any and all upgrades to any street that's intended for it. That could take well over a calendar year, add that onto the completion time for the project. And that's unfortunate because given the state of our nation's supply chain and the cost of raw materials, ask any idiot like me that's tried hiring a contractor over the last year, Delays could exacerbate our materials costs and drive the final cost of construction millions and millions of dollars higher. And then you look at the downtown stadium's impact on the neighborhood. Comparing the diagrams in the report on Google Maps, I was able to determine that the following, just from this, in terms of scope of disruption that would take place in regards to the impact on citizens and businesses. There are over 205, which I counted from the aerial view on Google Maps. These are homes that were required demolition in order to make way for this project. In that location, Our Lady of Perpetual Help Church, they're also there. There would be significant reparations and potentially a number of lawsuits stemming from that decision, which could delay the ability of crews to break ground. Chris... There's precedent for this because you remember when they were building that Atlanta stadium, the Mercedes-Benz Dome. Yep. In 2015, they ran into huge delays and ultimately had to shell out $35 million to relocate two churches that resided inside the planned construction zone and just refused to sell and threatened lawsuits if they were forced to move because of eminent domain. (laughs) Can you imagine what would happen here? Probably the same thing. There are currently seven different restaurants and bars operating within this new location's footprint. Are they any good? Gene McCarthy's. Uh, Adolph's First Ward Tavern. Uh, I like the the name of that place. Home of the the um, Game on Buffalo crew. There are currently five different private businesses operating in this area as well. And most importantly, the old First Ward Community Center that acts as a cornerstone of that local community, offering senior care, child care, the area's food pantry, community development, and youth outreach programs. 
Each of these demographics would be impacted as the entire area would need to be raised to the ground in order to accommodate the stadium. Now, it's unclear at the time of the report how willing people in this neighborhood, one where diversity is high, yet the medium household income, property values, and rent costs all fall well below the rest of the city, how open those people would be to vacating their homes. There's certainly an opportunity here for there to be delays and cost overruns. And at the same time, you have to look at this from a PR perspective. It's one thing to uproot and move some graves when you're building a stadium. Just ask the guys who built Rich Stadium back in the 70s. They moved active grave sites, which I've, I've long said that's the reason that we're so fucked when it comes to so many things. It's another to force a vulnerable community from their homes for the sake of for the sake of a sport and a murky sense of improving the overall fiscal landscape of Western New York. Now, remember earlier when I mentioned the individual who ran the UB Bulls explanation page? I started something of a fracas with my commentary with him. We went back and forth, but they informed me that an Orchard Park Stadium would be welfare for the rich and wouldn't represent progress for the city. So, in response, what I told him was that. Well, if you have an axe to grind with rich people, sacrificing vulnerable people for the sake of quote-unquote progress, isn't that behavior that you guys typically subscribe to the rich? So it's ironic to me that people who claim to oppose them would be the ones suggesting that exact same line of thinking. That got me in a lot of trouble. (laughs) And we went back and forth, we butted heads. But ultimately, that's what's happening here. It's a bad look for an ownership group that at this point, Chris, they, how, how much more negative press can the Pagoulas take? I don't know. It feels like that's all wrapped up with the Sabres. It just seems like they've done nothing over the last calendar year but generate negative press. How, how, how much do you think it would grow if the narrative becomes they're literally going to force people from low-rent, low-income areas of the city out of their homes so that we can all watch a sporting event. Yeah, I got a game to watch. See, this is like you're dead inside. And that's it. That's what we're talking about. Now, Chris, I've tried to be as objective as I can be throughout all this, but I think from the tenor of the conversation, people listening can probably guess which of the two projects, after reading this report, I not only support, but I think are the most reasonable for people to expect. With new construction downtown... It could usher in a new era for the city of Buffalo. But there are an incredible number of variables with that project. Cost overruns that we can't even begin to put put a price tag on. And some of which are not in the control of the bills, nor the state. From the FHA impact reviews, to fights over eminent domain, to just logistical issues. Trucking material in, material costs. Meanwhile, the Orchard Park location represents not just a preservation of the current game day atmosphere and tailgating, which, Chris, we enjoy immensely, and it's talked about throughout the NFL as one of the key things the Bills have going for them. But it's also the most cost-controlled option for construction when you consider that it has the smallest price tag and the smallest potential for price tag volatility. It would also represent a solution that would allow the team to break ground on the project quicker than the downtown options that have been laid in front of us uh, 
according to this report, guaranteeing that material costs will be lower and ensuring that before the current lease expires in 2023, the Bills would have a new home that keeps them here in Buffalo permanently. Chris, I can't argue with that logic. I'm sure there's Bills fans out there who feel differently. I want you to reach out to us about your thoughts. I want to continue this conversation at Rockpile Report on Twitter, rockpilereport 716 at gmail.com. Everyone listening to this, I want to know what you personally think, and I want to aggregate these and come back, circle back in a month, and talk about the responses to it. I think it, I think that this is incredibly important because, Chris, if we lose this football team... No more podcasts, that's I think for I'm sure. Done. I think I'm done. Yeah. Wouldn't have a podcast, no football to watch. I want what's in the best interest of this team, and I also want what's in the best interest of the city because I live here, damn it. I live here. And I I used to live in South Buffalo. I understand what that community is firsthand. And if you're talking about burning it to the ground so that you can watch a sport there, I just feel like you're missing the mark and you need to do a little bit more research. I want to know what you all think. Reach out to us, and I hope that you all take something of note away from this podcast. But we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and this has been your Rock Power Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.